Welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is the Reverend Skylar Vogel. I am the senior minister here at Fourth Universalist. Um, I use he, him pronouns, and we're so glad you're joining us for this online video series. What follows are selections from our service from September 26, 2021, which is a special service because it's dedicated to our new art installation, both in our sanctuary and also in our chapel. In this video, you will hear the reading and my reflection, and following that, stick around for a lively discussion between myself and Ember, our Director of Religious Education, where we go deeper into the theme together. You're invited to check out every week video and audio podcasts that we put up, uh, posted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. Like us, comment, share, subscribe and help spread the Fourth Universalist message further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community here at Fourth Universalist is located on the land of the Muncie Lenape peoples. This acknowledgement is part of our continuing work to dismantle the ongoing legacies of oppression, particularly through our work of the Eighth Principle. Thank you again for watching, for being here, for being part of our extended Fourth U community. We begin now with our reading. by the minister William Ellery Channing, widely considered the father of Unitarianism. The words we hear today speak to the essence of religious education and speak to the empowering spirit of faith tradition more generally. Here are his words. The great end in religious instruction is not to stamp our minds upon the young, but to stir up their own. Not to make them see with our eyes, but to look inquiringly and steadily with their own. Not to give them a defined amount of knowledge, but to inspire a fervent love of truth. Not to form an outward regularity, but to touch inward springs. Not to bind them by an irreducible prejudice to a particular sect of peculiar notions, but to prepare them for impartial, conscientious judging of whatever subjects may be offered to their decision. Not to burden the memory by quicken and strengthen, but to quicken and strengthen the power of thought not to impose religion upon them in the form of arbitrary rules, but to awaken the conscious and moral discernment. In a word, the great end is to awaken the soul, to excite and cherish spiritual life. Growing up in my family, there were two general themes. On my dad's side, it was religion. 
Religion was everywhere in his family. His dad, my grandfather, was an old-fashioned country western pastor, strict, conservative, and uncompromising. But it wasn't only him. My uncle was also a minister, as was my great-uncle, as was my great-grandfather. My family did not just practice religion, they were its teachers, preachers, and enforcers. It was a way of life, a cultural legacy passed on from generations. My dad avoided being a minister, he broke the line, but could not escape religion. Our house was littered growing up with heavily underlined copies of his favorite spiritual books, thinkers like Thich Nhat Hanh, Eckhart Tolle, and Karen Armstrong. He turned away from the traditional faith of his family, but not from the questions that religion posed. Religion was just too entrenched. This religious culture contrasted significantly with the culture of my mother's family. The two could not have been more different. My mother grew up with some religion, but it was art that dominated there. Her father, my grandfather, was a painter and a professor of art on the East Coast. His works experimented with watercolors and oils, abstract collages, and woodcuts. They hung everywhere in my childhood house. To this day, every time I move to a new place, the minute I put them on the walls, it feels like home. My grandfather wasn't the only artist, though, in that family. My uncle was considered in his youth to be the most, even more talented painter than his father, though he lacked the passion. Perhaps most impactful to me was my mother, who taught video and film for 35 years. Her work is the experimental type, not the feature stuff, the kind that shows in places like MoMA and the Guggenheim. I grew up listening to the sounds of her editing them, the odd dialogue and music emanating from the speakers. We would discover strange props and masks around the home that spoke to the macabre fairy tales that were emblematic of her work. The most prominent, which recently went viral on TikTok, took the told the story of two women grooming a stalker with the goal of murdering and eating him. These were not normal stories. So you can imagine how these two sides of my family got along. My mother's artistic eccentricity was completely unfamiliar to my father's family, who were no doubt made uncomfortable by her unapologetic feminism, East Coast sensibility, and liberal norm-breaking. My father's cultural conservative family appeared to my mother's family as if they were looking back in time possessing a moral confidence and rigidity that seemed so out of step with the modern world that they knew. In many ways, that tension existed and still exists between the two sides of my family, and that it mirrors the relationship between religion and contemporary art more generally. To many who are religious, contemporary art is dangerous, provocative, and unpredictable. 
It is not beholden to respectfulness, nor does it acquiesce to a prescribed moral code. Contrary to explicitly religious art, which is created in service of faith, contemporary art seems to serve no one else than the artist's own ideals and vision. Even to the non-religious, contemporary art can, if maybe not offend, it can baffle. I remember walking through an art museum with a friend back in college. We were admiring the great paintings of Rembrandt and Rubens through the more traditional sides of the art museum, these titans of Dutch painting. And then all of a sudden, as you sometimes do in art museums, find yourself unexpectedly with a totally different kind of art. We found ourselves in the modernist wing. We were standing immediately in front of a large canvas. It was entirely white, except for a pronounced and unrefined red streak cutting right through the middle. My friend who had loved looking at the Rembrandt and the Rubens looked at this canvas dismissively. What is this? He asked. I could do this, even in grade school. What kind of joke is this that gets put in a museum? I didn't agree with my friend then or now, but I understand the sentiment that is so prevalent in this world that makes contemporary art and especially abstract art difficult to understand, and perhaps hard to approach. This is especially true because for so much of art, we are raised believing that art has to tell a story or teach a lesson. You can see that grounded in our sense of what religious art should be, the influence of religion over time. Just look at this building. You can see it in the stained glass throughout here. Each one of these, sometimes they're hard to see, sometimes they're not. It tell, they tell stories. They feature someone that the builders of this cathedral thought were important for us to know. They told stories about how we should live, people we should admire. Religion loves a good story and morality tale. It doesn't like chaos. It doesn't like moral ambiguity, which are some things that are so often found in abstraction. Now, in my upbringing, I was so fortunate to be exposed to a family that required both religion and contemporary art to live together under one roof. What often remains unsaid in my family is that my mom's painter father was a deacon at his church. And it was a church where everyone knew but didn't care that that priest they had was gay. Alternatively, my, my father's brother, raised in that deeply conservative home, would go on to be a sculptor and professor of ceramics. Religion and contemporary art can go together, even though we see a real distrust between the two. In fact, for Unitarian Universalists and other liberal faiths, contemporary art and especially abstract art, it's almost a perfect spiritual fit. The gift of abstract art is that it does not enforce creeds. It challenges and breaks them apart. It does not prescribe morality, but invites introspection and contemplation. 
It's not didactic, but experiential. It doesn't shoehorn us into categorical thinking and narrative constructs, but broadens our imagination and our hearts to go beyond it. Abstract art, like Unitarian Universalism, requires an appreciation of nuance. It requires us to sit with a lack of understanding, to take in symbols and ideas and objects that don't automatically tell us what we should think and feel and believe. Each encourages and relies on an inward sensitivity that senses beauty and metaphor and meaning in subtlety and abstraction. Deprived of creeds and doctrinaire truth claims, we develop an intuition that lets us find our orientation in this world. We find that there is joy in the journey of experiencing and questioning. In our space today, both above me and in our chapel near the front doors, you will find new abstract art installations that we believe are perfect examples of this blending of art and spirituality. Here in our main sanctuary, you see a flag by Rico Gatson. It's a perfect complement to our traditional space. We heard a little bit about what meaning it has from Loretta already, why it belongs in sacred space. Part of a combination of the American flag, but also the Pan-African flag, the Black Liberationist flag, the Pride flag, speaking to all the complexities that we bring here as Unitarian Universalists and just people in this diverse country and world we live in. Gatson's flag serves as an expression of our identity and values through its color and patterns and location. Just as important as the work itself is what it replaces. It replaces two things, both a colorless gray curtain that washes out the space here, and it replaces a mosaic that that curtain is designed to cover, a mosaic that depicts Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Neither of these two pieces do our sanctuary and our religious community justice. The curtain contributes nothing artistically and is merely functional. The Christian mosaic is not representative of our theological diversity here, nor is its depiction of Jesus as white historically accurate, nor does centering the 13 men present behind align with our values of gender diversity. So Gadsden's work offers us an alternative, which actively seeks to represent our community and our values. We see its installation as part of our eighth principle work to further our work of anti-racism and anti-oppression. You'll see the same spirit in our chapel. The gold works of Stephen Antonakis calls back to the Byzantine religious iconography, which Antonakis spoke of being powerfully visual to him, even as a child. The gold of the works plays on light as a source of spiritual inspiration. In ancient times, cultic images were always clothed in gold. In medieval times, they used gold halos to suggest holiness. 
In his words, he was fascinated by just how much gold can do. And we can share his fascination when he writes, the light and also the darkness is present. He was self-aware of the spiritual themes of his work, saying that he had a deepening need for the sacred. It actually led him to design chapels all by himself, that both houses work, but also design the chapels. And I would hope that if he were alive today and able to be with us in our chapel, see his work, that he would find some pride in what we've done. His work is complemented by the striking centerpiece by Ronald Bladen, whose abstract V replaces the altar that had lived in the chapel for decades. The V suggests hands pointing upwards in prayer or praise to the sky, perhaps even a Job-like spiritual exasperation at the state of the world. In each of these pieces, as abstract art, something sacred is suggested. Maybe we're called to the light, called to the heavens, or called to reflect on who we are and what we as a community want to be about. So it should be easy to see why these were selected for our community. None of them have a clear narrative. None of them have clear iconography. Like our lack of creeds, they evoke still something profound about who we are as people and as a community. This is a spirit expressed by Antonakis himself. I don't want to tell people, he said, how to experience art. I simply want to find ways of putting things together visually so the possibility of a higher consciousness may occur. Is this not similar to the words we heard earlier from Channing? That the great end in religious instruction is not to stamp out, stamp our minds upon the young, but to stir up their own, to awaken the soul, to excite and cherish spiritual life. It is a perfect fit. So the next time you're looking at a piece of contemporary art and you wonder what it means, maybe like my friend, you come across something that you are puzzled by and you wonder what is so special about it, just pause for a moment. Think about it like a spiritual invitation. Let your need for clarity and narrative and realism and immediate understanding fall away for a moment. Open yourself up to the feelings that it may bring up in you, feelings that come from form and function location and color, movement and contrast. Let yourself just take them in. Allow your intuition to find a natural sensitivity. Ponder the symbolism in the abstraction. Find joy in the freedom of just experiencing something that doesn't tell you what to think or feel or believe because it's up to you. Ask yourself what it might have to give you and teach you. To experience art in this way is a prayer. It is a meditative art, a way for us as liberal, religious, Unitarian, Universalists 
see the world in a new way. I hope the art here today for the next year lifts your spirit, invites you to some higher plane of reflection towards greater truth and wisdom and beauty today and in all the days to come. Amen. Hi, everybody. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at Fourth Universalist, and I use she and her pronouns. Reverend Schuyler, good to sit down with you again. Seems to be a regular thing now. It is. Here we are uh, in our respective offices, only a few feet away, but uh, uh, it's all good. Yes. Um, you know, after after summer break, you know, it's, it's nice to be getting back to having these uh, having these reflection times together uh, on the regular. It is. It is great to be with you. And I really, you know, I love the fact that we are taking time as a community to think about our new art installations. Like this, this is a, a really cool moment. Would you like to um, share a little bit more about it for maybe somebody who uh, jumped towards the end of the video instead of listening to the whole thing? <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, uh, if you haven't yet been in person to our community, uh, you may not have noticed, but uh, we have a number of new art installations throughout our sanctuary. Uh, the, the most noticeable one is we have a light projection piece that's projected um, over our curtain, over the mosaic, um, right at the main altar space. You can't miss it if you walk in. It's a beautiful piece by Rico Gatson, who is a New York City-based artist. Um, he's done a lot of great work all over the city, including the art for one of the subway stations in the Bronx. Um, and it really just changes the space tremendously. Um, and uh, and then we also have uh, the chapel, a little small, our small little chapel. When you come in, and the front door is right off Central Park West, we have work by Ronald Bladen and uh, uh, Stephen Antonakis, who uh, who both both these artists who uh, who were inclined to the spiritual in, in their own way, and so we uh, we're really lucky. It, it it allows us to find this this intersection between spirituality and religion. Uh, and particularly abstraction in religion, which I think is often uh, often two areas of, I think, human exploration that, that kind of don't get put together very often. And so part of what we try to do with this service is, is ask the question, what, do, what does abstract art and religion have in common? What do they have to do with each other? And, and if they have anything to do with each other, why do we have them in our space? Uh, because usually you think of religious iconography as very visual, very narrative, stained glass windows with stories attached to them, people doing things, characters that you know, moral lessons that are being taught. But abstract art is a different ballgame than that. It's, it's not didactic. It's suggestive, maybe, um, but it's a little bit more ambiguous in its purpose and theme. So, so we talk about that. Um, but I, I do really do think that it's a, a perfect combination, particularly for our brand of religiosity here at Fourth Universalist. I've I've been really appreciate it's it seems so strange when I come into the building and the art is not projected onto the front of the sanctuary like I've gotten so used to it now on Sundays that when I'm here on other days of the week and it's not being actively projected I'm like oh it feels a little feels a little less bright in here um, I, yeah I just think it's really cool that we we are taking this time today to to think about that so. Um, are you really this art expert, or did you have to use some uh, resources as you considered uh, different elements of this message today? Yeah, so I, I'm not an art expert. I am more of a, an art dabbler. Or, uh, but I, as I say in my reflection, I, I come from a family of artists. And so I grew up 
swimming in that world and and I and I have a, a deep affinity with it um, from a from a personal familial background and so I although I, I'm not an artist myself I uh, I don't have particular artistic skill or talent that extends to any kind of medium in particular I, I have an appreciation for it particularly the modern art and contemporary art uh, which I always felt like is kind of it's a bit more uh, takes a bit of nuanced perspective to to appreciate. Um, certainly, in, in leading up to to writing and preparing for this service, I I did a lot of reading about about um, the artists um, and what and what they thought and, and believed. Um, so I, I talk a little bit about each of each of them and their perspectives on on the work that they created and the art that we have in our on our space. Um, and you could do whole sermons on any and each of them. So it's it's a very brief thing, but you know what I didn't want to do is misrepresent them. Um, and what I wanted to do was was allow for folks who are listening to recognize that something like Antonakos's you know golden pieces that are you know hanging in the chapel, unless you read about him and understand what he's doing and broaden your mind to what religious art is. You might not see that as oh this is a religious piece of art, but if you learn about his life and learn about what he cared about and his background and the way that he understood light and his Greek heritage, uh, playing off sort of Byzantium mosaic art, uh, you sort of learn to appreciate what it is. Um, and so I think that learning is really key and pivotal. Um, it's not understanding abstract art is not as simple and easy as as more narrative um, realistic art. I think there's a benefit to having it. I think you can get a lot from just looking at it if you know how to look at it. I think they can be kind of meditative pieces, which I talk about in the sermon as well. But it also helps to be able to, you know, you can kind of go that route or you can go the route of really diving into what are, what are the, what's the symbolism, what's the meaning behind it, who's the artist, what's their story. I, you know, I you you said that you're not much for art yourself, but I, you know, as somebody who... Uh, has also delivered and and written uh, sermons in the past. Like you know, there, writing is a is an art form as well. We may not be quite as talented with the visual arts, but <laughs> you know, a good sermon you're painting a picture with your words. It's true, and I, I I was reminded this week that we have a team called the Worship Arts Team in the congregation, and there's a concept of liturgical arts and worship arts, and that there is some intuition. Uh, um, it is more of an art than a science, right? It's about creating an atmosphere and an experience, and and the art that we install, you know, in the sanctuary in the chapel are part of that experience too. And so there's a holistic nature to the experience that we want people to have on Sunday morning, whether they're on Zoom or, or in person, right? We try to curate these little ideas, little things of, you know, what's the first thing you see when you walk in? What are the color schemes um, that you encounter? You know, are the seasons spoken about? Um, Know, what kind of energy does the music have in various parts of the service? So uh, it is true that there are, there is some of that. Um, uh, but perhaps like abstract art, it's an underappreciated form of art uh, at times. Well, I, I am definitely a bit of a liturgy nerd, which is perhaps why you and I, when, when I'm writing the Time for All Ages, we like to figure out how to like weave in the themes through through everything. Uh, we 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 are both slightly, I think, liturgy nerds. Um, case people haven't guessed. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I really appreciated was um, the, the way you talked about how like our, our families influence like the way we approach a lot of things like in your case 
uh, art and religion. I definitely know that uh, in terms of religion, my, my family had lots of influence there. I, I was less inclined to be interested in, in artwork because um, we, we were definitely of the more uh, fundamentalist, uh, engaging in secular things is bad uh, sort of background. And so it's taken me a while to come to appreciate uh, like modern art since, since I didn't quite have uh, that perspective growing up. But I, I thought this was really interesting, the way that like uh, you talk about how your, your family influenced your approach to art. Um, you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think it, you know, I think it exposed me to a world that could appreciate um, non-conceptual experiences and ideas. Um, and the value of things that I didn't understand at face value. Um, my mother's work that I allude to, and I've preached about her work before at the church, um, is very strange. It's very strange. Um, it's it's not um, it's not the kind of film or video that you would see in a theater. It's it's the stuff that you would see kind of projected on a wall, but potentially at the Guggenheim or MoMA. Um, and uh, and so part of me growing up was like this is. This is not what I would expect, uh, and yet clearly it has some value. Um, not just because other people found it having value, but also because it was provocative, um, and it's, we've seen it continue to be provocative. Um, you know, with her work going viral on TikTok, for example, uh, recently. Um, I think I think having the exposure to that kind of stuff, and other people like my mom and my grandfather, and you know, just all the, the people that are, were there in their environments in the world who'd come into the house, right? And we'd see them or we'd go to the various shows at the art galleries or museums where we grew up. And this wasn't like, you know, we were we grew up in Milwaukee. It wasn't like an art mecca necessarily, but, um, but you know, artists are artists. Uh, they all have that creative spark. And so I think that having to be exposed to that sense of wanting to express uh, what it means to be a human being and the, all our feelings and the work and the work that we have and not necessarily needing uh, this linear narrative going in a certain direction in order to make it a value. I think, I think in our world today, we really, we really confuse the two that, you know, in order for something to have worth, it needs to be, needs to fit into some paradigm that it's clearly exists for us, you know, whether that's like the political sort of, uh, dichotomy, whether that's, you know, are you religious or not? Do you believe in God or not? Um, and art kind of, particularly modern art kind of blows that open and says, no, like it's, life is, is too messy for that. It's too confusing. We don't need to have categories for everything. Um, let's sit in the, the amorphousness of this. And we see a, a blob that's presented to us in, as an art form. And we say, what do we make of that? I'm not quite sure whether to jump on the, the Milwaukee slander. <laughs> Poor Milwaukee. Always left out so close to Chicago and not, not appreciated very much. Milwaukee is a great art museum and they have a great, and they're actually a great film film city, believe it or not. They have a wonderful film festival, some really great old theaters there. Um, the department that my mom taught in actually was considered one of the top uh, film departments in the country for graduate students. So so no shade on Milwaukee. It's just, the you know. It's always full of surprises. Milwaukee's always both surprises, that's okay. right. Um, but I, I'm particularly also curious about this whole TikTok thing as, as a TikTok connoisseur myself. Um, I, I, I don't know if you're, if you're able to talk about it now. If not, we'll definitely talk about it after this discussion. 
Yeah, I, I, I think a couple of Mother's Days ago, I preached about it because it was so strange, right? That, uh, so she, one of her pieces called Possibly in Michigan, um, which was sort of our standout piece, the piece that, uh, for whatever reason, I think it, it is, you never know like what of your work kind of stands out or, or gets people's attention. Made in the early 80s. Um, I mentioned it actually in, my, in this reflection about basically the idea that they kind of groom these two women groom the stalker and then with sort of the intention of, of killing and eating him. Um, and uh, it's an intense, it's an intense little story, uh, sort of a fairy tale-esque piece and very strange. And so it had, it had gone viral on Reddit a few years earlier and was trending there um, amongst people. And then TikTok somehow picked it up and people basically started imitating this little song that people, that was in the, in the film. Um, it got enough exposure that the New York Times actually did a whole feature piece on it uh, and sort of this, this, the unusualness of a, you know, a, a, a now, you know, grandmother, 70-year-old uh, person piece is going viral from mostly Gen Z or, you know, high schoolers and college kids um, and just kind of going everywhere. And it was weird um, because she kind of has these, these fans who are young people and like, you know, and, and she's much more savvy about this stuff than me now so it's uh it is unusual but it's 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 so i need to hit her up about starting the the church tiktok channel yeah she doesn't have her own tiktok um but i think i think she was you know there's gotta go viral what's that she knows how to go viral so gotta, gotta <laughs> well, this is one piece you know it's this one piece from you know if you google possibly in michigan you can find some of this stuff um it's sort of a wild thing yeah no i um at first, I did not get TikTok, and I, I've come to appreciate it. And now it's probably my most used, uh, most most browsed social media. Maybe I don't post too often on it, but uh, it it is a little bit of an art form itself. Having only the like one to three minutes at max uh, that you can make the video, and it makes you have to be concise in what exactly you're saying. It's you know, uh, uh, it kind of relates to what my uh, last topic for discussion was, which was just this this opportunity to learn about art and appreciate different types of art. Like as somebody who grew up not really understanding uh, the allure of modern art, but who's come to appreciate it. I love the juxtaposition that like our church offers with this beautiful architecture that has this very classic style. But then now we have these new much more abstract art installations. And it's, it's for this really interesting moment of like being able to appreciate multiple different types of art at once. Uh, and I think art offers that uh, us that ability to grow. It does. And I think any art, you know, the buildings are, are lived art, uh, particularly sacred spaces like ours. I think it's, I think it's amazing. Um, you know, I think it offers an alternative to the, well, I think some people experience it, the oppressive, old-fashioned Christianness of this building, um, which by itself is uh, stifling um, and not representative of who we are, but you add the modern art, the abstract art, and suddenly it becomes balanced by something that is far more contemporary uh, and evocative and, I think, relevant. And all of a sudden it becomes not a, a burden uh, of old-fashionedness, but a complement uh, and uh, something that you can revere as because it's been counterbalanced by something else. Um, and so you can learn, I think, to have a deeper appreciation for what the building, old building used to be, um, or and is, without having to feel like it's dominating your experience anymore. Um, we all need those, we all need relationships with old things. Um, 
I think it, they give us perspective to feel us connected to past generations and, and history. But if we are just living in the past, we feel like we have no future. And so I think this gives us the chance to both be exposed to a deep sense of tradition and grounded in, in where we come from while also looking into the present and the future uh, so we can feel free. I, uh, this building really is special. When I was here this last, uh, I think it was actually last Friday, I was definitely just walking around thinking about the, the generations of people that have, have called this building home and how special that makes it. Um, so really is, uh, I'm, I'm excited for this new art. I'm excited to see what more art may come in the future. So Reverend Schuyler, thanks so much for sitting down and chatting today. Thank you, Ember. And for all those listening, stop on by anytime. If you haven't yet seen it, come on by uh, on a Sunday and we'll, we'll love to show you around, uh, show you the art, the chapel, the projection. Um, we'd love to share it with you.